All right, we're doing something a little different today. It is the grand reopening. We are back officially on site. More and more people are feeling comfortable uh, over time to get back here, and uh, it's been great. And so they need to get to know you, Carissa. You are well, and I need to get to uh, know yes, all of exactly. you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Right. So you come with a husband and three adorable kids. Tell us a little bit yes, about yourself. Yes, I come with a whole group of people. There's a lot of us. And so my husband Ryan, he is the better part of all of us. I mean, he's just, this guy is amazing. You're going to love him way more than you love me. And I'm speaking from 14 years of experience. He's just incredible, my partner and everything. And then we have three small children um, who are getting a lot bigger faster than I ever realized. Our oldest is going into middle school next year. So that's crazy. My son Landon is going into fourth grade. Abby, Man, you just need to meet Abby. That's all I have to say. She's going to run something one day, a country, a church, a company. I don't know which, but she's running something, the world. Yep. And she's going to be in kindergarten next year. So I am like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) That is a whole game changer. I remember when our last went to kindergarten, my wife looked at at each other and thought, this is a whole new life we're about to experience. So uh, congratulations on that. Uh, Krissa is our uh, groups pastor, our connections pastor. So as we talk even about today, in fact, uh, we're going to spend some time talking about what it means for a church to connect as friends. And uh, Carissa and a team is going to help us, especially as we approach fall on our fall launch, to be uh, truly connected in deep and powerful ways. And uh, so let's start with our mission statement here. Um, we have this, this statement that has sort of evolved over the last decade, and we are very happy that that's the bedrock foundation of Rancho as we gr- grand reopen and beyond. And it begins with this phrase, a diverse community of friends. And, and that word diverse can be kind of a trigger in our kind of hyper-partisan polit- political sort of world. It can be kind of a trigger, and, and, and we don't do politics here. Sometimes our, the mission of Jesus kind of connects with politics, so, so let the anxiety just kind of settle. Relax. This is a biblical mission. Diversity is a biblical, biblical mission. How do you see that in God's word? Well, I mean, diversity is really central to the heart of God. We see it all throughout the scripture, starting with creation. And so how many of you know what a cicada is? Anybody? It's a little bug, right? And I had to Google how to pronounce cicada this week because I had been pronouncing it cicada, and I had a sneaking suspicion that I was wrong about that, so I Googled <laughs> it. So it is cicada, and I want to just, I want to do a little poll here with you today. And so you have three potential answers, and you're going to raise your hand. We're going to have a little bit of fun. You can even do this with us if you're watching online. So you God made a lot of cicadas. I mean, he just did. There's either 200 different types, 500 different types, or 1,000 different types. Different species yeah. of cicadas. Yeah, so of cicadas, right. a bug. It's about this big. We probably have never even seen one, and if you did, you wouldn't know what you were looking at. You probably ran. Okay, how many of you think there's over 200 types of cicadas? Okay, I see some hands. Um, online, if you're Googling this, you're cheating, and that's not okay. <laughs> oh, how many of you think over 500? Okay, yeah, over 1,000? Okay, a lot more hands. I just tricked you all. I figured. Because there are more than 3,000 different types of cicadas that God made in the world. I mean, does that just not show us that God loves diversity? And then it gets better than that because there are a lot of these little bugs called cicadas that only make an appearance every 10 to 20 years. He made introverted bugs. I mean, how many of the introverts in the room are like, I would love to make an appearance every 10 days. <laughs> 10 years sounds amazing, right? So diversity in creation. We see diversity in the Trinity as well. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all God, all divine, and yet unique and different. And then we see it in the life and ministry of Jesus. We see Jesus, who is the Messiah, who comes to the world in the midst of a Jewish culture. And if you think about the time in Jewish culture, he is not what they were expecting the Messiah to look like. They thought the Messiah was gonna be a good Jewish rabbi, not a carpenter, right? And then as Jesus began to invite people into his life, he invited them to become followers. He invited them to become disciples. He went and ministered and healed to them. You would have expected living at that time that Jesus, the good Jewish rabbi, would have invited other good Jewish rabbis to be a part of his inner circle. But that's not what he did. He had an incredibly diverse inner circle of followers. He had fishermen. He had tax collectors. There were women involved in what he was doing. He he invited kids to come and be a part of what he was doing. Samaritans, Romans, 
all of the outcasts. In fact, this week, you said something in one of the meetings with the team that stuck with me. It's almost as if Jesus had a checklist of people that were on the margins and he went down the checklist to make sure that he interacted with them, that he invited them to come and be a part of what he was doing. Jesus absolutely valued diversity in his ministry. This is part of what he did and he did it so well. It's part of what made people love him and attracted people to him. It's also a big part of what got him into trouble. Absolutely, yep. And it, it's very uh, difficult to be a part of a diverse community because this gravity kind of pulls you to sameness. Yeah. That's where our comfort zone is, kind of strength in numbers. Am I surrounded with people who are like me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a harder road, isn't it? Oh man, it's incredibly difficult because we feel comfortable when we're around people that look like us, that think like us, that believe like us. It it reinforces and makes us feel safe is really what it does. And there's a lot of neuroscience that backs this up. And so if we we can think for a moment though that that diversity really requires humility. It, It requires us to go, maybe I don't know everything there is to know. Maybe the way that I see the world isn't the only way of seeing the world. And we are better because of it. And so my question for you, Scott, is we know that diversity is not an easy road to take. It's not the popular road to take. It's difficult for all of us that are practicing this. And sometimes we forget. We get comfortable again, and then we have to kind of come back to diversity. And so what are some small steps that we can all begin to take that help us to make diversity the center of our lives, the way that God made it, the center of creation, that it's part of the Trinity, Jesus centered it in his ministry. How do we follow that? Well, I think it's, it's intentionality, right? As we talked about that Jesus kind of went through almost a checklist of, oh yeah, you know, let's make sure we pay attention to and love and listen to the Samaritans or, or the Romans, uh, or make sure we really envelop women to our, into our cause. He went right through children. He went right through every sort of, you could call it a demographic, in his own realm, and he built relationships with every single one. So there was an absolute intentionality around uh, the ministry of Jesus. And so uh, I think it was about 10 or 12 years ago around here, um, you know, we looked around our church and we said, okay, it kind of looks like our, our community, but not really. And we need to do a better job with diversity initiatives. And we did this left to right, top to bottom at Rancho, who's on our board, who's in leadership, who's on staff, um, uh, uh, who are we raising up, who are we building relationships with in our own personal lives. And, and we, we went after this idea of diversity intentionally. And now 10, 12 years later, if you look at our leadership teams, it is like this wonderful, beautiful mosaic of humanity. And we are learning from each other. Not one of us says, I believe everything that's right, or I come from a background that's right. And we are learning and growing. And as you said, Carissa, that takes humility mm-hmm. because we don't uh, build intentional um, diversity in our lives in order for us to teach down our wonderful, fully formed, beautiful and right perspectives. We're humbly learning. It's like, oh yeah, there's that perspective. I didn't know that before. Um, this is something new that I hadn't heard. Uh, you know what? You might be right there. How can I learn? So it's really um, intentionality, not just corporately in terms of business or ministries or nonprofit, but personally. I had to look at my own circle of friendships that were largely based by my kids' friends. And I thought, you know what? We are all looking about the same and we all live in about the same house and, and, and have the same roughly kind of background. And so to break through that and to say, I have to make more friends uh, in my neighborhood who are different than me, uh, in my community, uh, be more intentional, even at church to build relationships with people who aren't quite like me here. And I'm telling you, it's been very enriching and I think I'm just getting started on that. So there's this biblical concept of diversity that was for sure with Jesus but went to the early church and they struggled with this. Here they're, they're gathering in Jewish synagogues, but inviting Gentiles, that never happened before. Mm-hmm. Rich and poor, men and women. Yep. But what did they do right away? They put people in categories. Yeah. It's like, okay, Jews come in first, Gentiles over there. Rich people up front, poor people in back. Men's section, women's section. They went right back to that old tribalism. Mm-hmm. They were trying because their doors were technically open, but once you got in, you knew you were other than, you knew you were the marginalized. And so the Apostle Paul in particular is pushing this through, pushing it through. So he says in Galatians 2.26, just as a reminder, you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Specifically talking about uh, racial divisions, ethnicities, you are all children of God. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, you're all one in Christ. And that's not to say we don't 
notice our differences and respect our differences, we do, right? But we notice and respect our differences, but then realize we are all brothers and sisters, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our economy, no matter our background, no matter our politics, we're all one in Jesus Christ. It is incredibly difficult, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's worth it. I mean, we're trying, and I'm telling you, we are struggling here to make sure this church stays diverse because the gravity of this world, Republicans here, Democrats here, this kind of Christian here, this kind of Christian here, if we don't agree on everything, we can't have fellowship with each other. I mean, it's a nightmare. We can. We can and we will, right, because of the gospel. The gospel brings us to God, all of us. The gospel can bring us to each other, all of us. So that's the, the biblical, you know, sort of mandate of diversity. But what about friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Church is often known as a, a gathering of people who come, they sit, they listen, they're told what to believe, told what to do, and leave. Yeah. Friendship is entirely different. So how do you envision, like, real friendship happening in the context of church? Yeah, well, I think Jesus is our model for this as well. I mean, think about the gospel stories. Jesus initiated and invested in interdependent friendships. And what, what are interdependent friendships? It's, it's when I need you and you need me and we need one another, right? And so Jesus begins his ministry making sure that he sets himself up as someone who needs the people around him. I mean, this is radical that Jesus lived and ministered this way. From the very beginning, his call to Peter. Jesus is preaching and the people can't hear him. And so he asks Peter, hey, can I use your boat? And will you, you know, hold it steady after working and fishing all night long? I know you're exhausted, Peter, but I need you in this moment. And so he recruits Peter to come and be his very first production person ever. I mean, this is before (laughs) electricity and Jesus is recruiting a production guy. It's fantastic. And then he invites Peter to come and follow him. And then we see Jesus do this with the woman at the well, where Jesus is traveling. And instead of avoiding Samaria, the way that any good Jewish rabbi would do, he sends his disciples to go get food because he knew they wouldn't really approve of what he was about to do. And he goes and he sits down at the well in the middle of the day. He's hot. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's in need. And Jesus knew that at the middle of the day, that's not when the upstanding citizens were going to come to the well. That's when the people on the margins would come to the well. And so he sits down knowing that he was going to encounter some diversity in that moment. And a woman comes, not just a a woman, but a Samaritan woman, and not just a Samaritan woman, but a promiscuous Samaritan woman. There's some of the checkboxes. Yeah, (laughs) and and a good Jewish rabbi, do you know what he would have done? He would have hopped up real fast and he would have gotten at least 20 feet away from this woman. Even today in Jewish culture, a man will not make eye contact with a woman in public. He won't even speak to his wife in public, but Jesus just stays where he is. And so she continues to walk up. And I think she's wondering in her mind, who is this man, right? And you know what he does? He asks her for a drink. He comes to her with a need. And then we see Jesus do this with Peter, James, and John in his darkest moments, in, in, the, in the heaviest moments of his human life. Jesus is in the garden and there is absolutely nothing that Peter and James and John can do for him except be present with him. This is the ministry of presence. This is holding space for someone when they're grieving, when they're suffering and we have no words for them, we can be a a presence for them. Now, Jesus, think about it. He is God in human form. He has the most intimate relationship with the Father in heaven than you and I will ever imagine. We would think that Jesus would have no need for human relationships or friendship in that moment because he's intimately connected with the Father. But that's not what we see. We see Jesus saying to his friends, his inner circle, I need you in this moment. I need your support in this moment. And and what does this interdependence do, right? It, It prevents there being a power dynamic. Because if I'm always meeting your needs, then that sets me up as better than you. But Jesus didn't do that. It was this interdependent friendships that he created everywhere that he went. And I just love that about him. But friendship is tough, right? It is tough. Genuine friendship oh, is tough. They're hard. It's easier to kind of keep space, right? To keep that, that distance, everybody at an arm's length. And the reason why we're so committed to this friendship idea is because we see that in the life and ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
And also just in, uh, in my own experience, I would be the every 10 year cicada. I would be, the, <laughs> I would be that bug underground, uh, just coming out, peeking, getting you know, stuff done and getting back. So I've had to learn a road of friendship as well and to see how much more deep and rich life is when you get to know people and, and the, the mess of that, right? Mm-hmm. All of us are, are, are messes, right? We come to the table, we come to friendships uh, with our faults and flaws, our failures, our, our backgrounds, our struggles. And so now when you have a church that is a gathering of friends and we're messy people all over each other, now there's piles of messes, it's yeah. easier just to come, sit, and leave. Building deep friendship takes a lot of work, but it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. And the reason why we're so committed to that is because we see that, again, in the gospel, the good news of God. God accepts us with our mess. Unconditional. He doesn't say, go clean yourself up. Maybe you'll be good enough for me. He says, come here. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter, just as you are. Yes, you're a mess, but I wrap my arms around you and I embrace you. You're forgiven. You're good with me, right? Let's, let's go live life together. And then all God says is now do that with each other. Huh. As I've embraced, embraced your mess, embrace the mess of the person next to you. That could literally be your spouse and your kids. Embrace that mess and walk the journey. Embrace the mess of each other, your neighbors, the person sitting next to you here at church. Uh, you know, joining a group if you are maybe feeling like you need some, some friendships. That mess is part of the beauty of relationship. In fact, uh, 1 Peter 4, 8, I love it. It says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. God knows we're a mess. Our mess is is sin. Anything that's not perfection, that's a mess, it's sin. God covers it with what? Love. And so when we come across each other, whether it's in our home or friendships that we make at church or the community, just go into that mess, covering it all right up front with love. I I tell people all the time, especially in families, hey, forgive in advance. Don't wait till somebody does something wrong to forgive. Then you're caught, well, you shouldn't have done that. Now I got a whole emotional thing. Somebody fails you, I've already forgiven you. Not that we don't take any of those issues seriously, but forgive in advance. That's how God forgave us. When you're making friends around here, forgive in advance. They're going to fail you. They're going to say things that are maybe hurtful. Cover them in the forgiveness of God. It's a beautiful thing. That's what really brings us together. Mm -hmm. Evan, you back there? Where are you at? Right here. All right. You got a song for us. Here's what we're going to do today. It's a little different. We're going to do a segment, a song, a segment, a song, and and just kind of mix it up a little bit because these songs, why did you pick this song for this segment? Well, this is, this is a perfect song for this Thank segment. you, Carissa. Yeah. Appreciate it. Let's uh, welcome Carissa to the team. Yes. Uh, perfect song for, for this segment because this song talks about just that. Everyone, every tribe, tongue, nation coming together because that's how we were meant to grow, right? I mean, yeah. Megan, you kind of feel the same way about it. Well, I know that, that Scott made us sing this song. So <laughs> kind of. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't pick it. <laughs> I'm just excited that, that we tricked all the people who come late hoping they miss worship. Like right. they're gonna no. get it all no, you're it. service long. You're getting it baby. today. That's right. No. Um, yeah. So no, it's we, a it's an amazing song that talks about just the opening verse. I think is just one of my favorites that just talks about inclusion and us coming together by the blood, like period by the blood, not absolutely. what's exterior. Absolutely. So we're gonna sing this song out. I'm sure you guys uh, you guys know it. We do it a lot here because it has become a favorite of mine, and I get to choose the songs. So. <laughs> I said I didn't pick it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, let's do this. You guys can stand to your feet. Let's worship together. Let's go.
Iglesia, say swing wide. Swing wide, oh you heavens. Let the praise go up as the walls come down. All creation, everything with breath, repeat the sound. All these children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. Come on, let's sing that together. Say, swing wide. Swing wide, all you heavens. Let the praise go up as the walls come down. All creation, everything we read, repeat the sound. All the children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. I am here at Community Mission of Hope and there is some cool stuff happening. We are advancing the cause of Christ by serving our community. John, what's going on here? Morning, Alex. Thank you so much for coming out. Behind us, we have our volunteers that are doing sorting, processing, getting boxes ready for all the people in the community that have a huge need. This pandemic's been hard on families around here. One of the other things that's been kind of challenging is that we have some people that are now retiring from being volunteers. So we have a huge need for volunteers. Allison, our Director of Operations, knows everything that we need. So I'm gonna turn it over to you. Yeah, sure, we definitely need, definitely need some more volunteers. Right now we're really looking for drivers. So if you have a big truck, SUV, or van, and you wanna go pick up from some stores, get some food for us to give out, we would love that. Um, we also have a ton of amazing events coming up, and so we're looking for uh, folks to help us out with that. So if you like to plan parties, events, things like that. And then lastly, always a need for case managers or mentors, people who just have a real heart to kind of you know, get in the weeds with people and just, you know, kind of help them help them out. So we would love that. Nice, so we've made it super easy. We put a link on our website. All you have to do is go to rancho.tv forward slash Wagar. All right, let's uh, give a hand to our Community Mission of Hope volunteers and staff. They do such a good job. And what's cool about that whole crew, and I'm talking about staff, volunteers, and even the people that we have the privilege of feeding and counseling and case managing and finding homes for, uh, they're all a group of friends. Uh, this is a group of people that loves each other, knows each other, cares for each other, prays for each other, and gets to do a lot of good together. And so this idea of a friendship, a diverse community of friends, is not just about getting together for the sake of each other. It's about getting together for what we'll just call the cause of Christ. There's some cause. There's a, a mission behind it. There's a purpose behind it. I love that last song we sang, that it's about friends getting together 
but then throwing the, the, the doors wide open of heaven and welcoming everyone in. Not just for the sake of friendships, because you can find friendships anywhere. You can find friendships at work, that's just fine. You can find friendships in your neighborhood, that's just fine. Find friendships on your kid's soccer field, that's just fine. But to make friends at church, there's some purpose behind that that's unique from any other friendship you could possibly experience in life. And that is to advance the cause of Christ. A diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ. Now to be clear, every single one of us has a cause. Everyone on earth has a cause. They may not have thought about it. They may not have formed it very well. They may not have written it down in a formal way, but everyone in their heart has a cause. Everyone in their heart has a reason for being and a reason for living. For a lot of people, it might be the cause of their family, a healthy, happy family. And so they put in the work to, to provide for their family, their work to, to have a marriage that's firing right, um, to put some time into their kids or their grandkids. Maybe your cause is your family. You want your family to be healthy. And that's a great cause. It's the earliest mission that God gave us in Genesis chapter one. He says to the first man, first woman, bless you. He blessed them and said, now be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they said, we're on it, right? And they did. And so that's the mission about a marriage and about family and the generations behind us, right? It's perfectly good. There are other people who have a mission that's more around their work or their vocation. For some, their cause is to be successful in their business, uh, perhaps becoming well-respected in your industry or contributing to advance whatever field that you're in, perhaps making a good living, making some good money, maybe living a good lifestyle. Nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, I love Solomon's perspective at the end of his life. He's saying, hey, listen, people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. God never once says, hey, it's a problem to make money or it's a problem to live well. Not at all. You work hard with your hands, you work hard with your mind, build a good career, be respected in your field, make some money, live a good lifestyle, maybe that's your cause. There's nothing really wrong with that. I hope it doesn't end there, but there's nothing wrong with that. For some, if we might be a little more honest, there might be a little bit too much pride, a little bit too much self-centered in your cause. For some, their cause is themselves, their own happiness, their own well-being, living for their own pleasure, getting their own way. These are the people, if they don't get their way, they pitch a big giant fit, right? kind of brats in that way. Um, they're doing their own thing, living for their own success, living for their own lifestyle, not so much concern about others. These people may not have a lot of concern even in their own family. It's just all about them. Now, if that's you, if you have a tinge of that, a hint of that, or that's just all you, this might be the day to say, you know what, there's a greater cause than me. Because the fact is, each of us individually are quite small, right? And we take out just about one square foot here, not that big a deal, right? There's seven, eight billion of us, and this is a big planet and a huge universe, right? We're not that big a deal. We're certainly not that big a deal to have our lives be all about ourselves. So perhaps today we can say, all right, whether my cause right now is, is good or a little self-centered, we can all say, okay, what did Jesus do with his life? What was his cause? And I have yet, and I'm not kidding you, I have yet to meet a single human being who looked at what Jesus did with his life and said, that guy's got problems, I haven't met that person. Why? Because his life is so rich and so good, such a focused cause. He didn't live for himself. Yes, he loved his family. And yes, you could pretty well bet that when he was a carpenter, he was a pretty good one. But he understood there's a greater cause than himself. In fact, um, there's a, uh, a news feed that just kind of popped up, and uh, it's about happiness. It's about happiness, and it says... Uh, giving to others makes you happier than giving to yourself and pursuing hap happiness directly for yourself often backfires. So what does that mean? It means that people who live for themselves are, are often the most unhappy people on earth. All right, go through the Rolodex of people you know in your brain. Who are the most selfish people? Are they the happiest people? No, it's an inverse relationship, I guarantee you. You graph selfishness and happiness and it's like, wow, the most selfish people are the most unhappy. Well, how can that be? They're living for themselves. Well, that's the point. I need you to make me happy. I need this job to make me happy. I need this church to make me happy, right? And they're just like always frustrated, uh, sizing up other people by what they do for them. True happiness comes when we align our lives with the cause of Christ, this incredible person, Jesus Christ, this incredible son of God, the fullness of God, showing himself to the world, showing that there's a cause greater than ourselves. In 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 4, it says for people, there's some people out there 
uh, will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. They will be uninvolved and uh, unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. There are people like that out there. And maybe if you're a little bit like that, a little bit self-centered, and if you don't think you are, other people will tell you you are. <laughs> I would suggest that today we align our cause with the cause of Jesus. His cause was pure. His cause was good. So what is the cause of Christ? The cause of Christ is actually very simple, very simple. Jesus says it in Mark chapter one, verse 14. Jesus preached the good news. And here's what he said. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. What was the cause of Christ? To move forward the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is a funny phrase to us because we don't live in a kingdom the United States is not a kingdom. Saudi Arabia is a kingdom. The United States is not a kingdom. So we don't understand kingdom. You know, uh, we live in America. It's a democracy. And we kind of push our way through the system, you know, eventually over time through elections. There's no king, so there's no kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not exactly something we understand. So let's think in terms of realm, right? The kingdom of heaven is all that accepts God's authority. God is the authority. God, I submit to your authority. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven embraces Jesus Christ as the full expression of God. The kingdom of heaven knows we look to Jesus, we see the cause of Christ, that's what we're gonna align with. The kingdom of heaven is all that receives the goodness and grace of God. The kingdom of heaven knows that God isn't looking for us to be religiously devoted. God isn't looking for us to be obedient to all of his commandments. God isn't looking for us to be all dialed in so he can then embrace us. God loves us as we are. He's just good to us as we are. That goodness and grace is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven shares the value of treasuring people, treasuring people. We don't treasure our political cause above people. We don't treasure our own sort of way above people. We don't treasure opinions above people. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God treasures people first, people first. The kingdom of God has a desire to serve the kingdom of God isn't about having the world or God or anybody else serve me. The kingdom of God is here to serve others. The kingdom of God understands that love is the only law. When Jesus came to earth, he says, listen, all of the law, all of the commandments, your entire scripture, all of the prophets, it's all summed up in this one word, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the kingdom of heaven, that realm and it's different than what happens in the world. It's different than what happens in religion. It's different than what happens a lot in the Christian religion, as sad as that is to say. The kingdom of heaven embraces God, embraces Christ, embraces love, embraces grace, embraces goodness, embraces people, and is here to serve. That's the kingdom of heaven, and it can be right here and right now. The cause of Christ is to bring heaven to earth. That's why, Evan and Megan, yes. we love this next song. We love this next song. It's a, it's a, it's a sister song it's to Good Grace. Yes. So explain what you mean by that, because I was totally confused when you were explaining this. So yes. how, how did the last song and this song connect? So uh, this, they're, they're hill songs, so they're pretty creative. Well, yes. Yeah, and so uh, basically this song, this song that we just sang is about uh, uh, every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together. And it's this big kind of party sensation where we all kind of advance that kingdom together. Well, this song just takes the hook of that song, continues it, and it goes into talking about we're singing and we're dancing and, and uh, until we see basically the kingdom of heaven here on earth, what we're doing is first coming together. This song is talking about this is what happens when we come together. The kingdom of heaven sing, comes. We will dance until right. the earth echoes the heaven. The name of the song is Echoes. Love it, love it. I now, yeah, go ahead. Part of that is dance. <laughs> You're going to lead us I in dancing. I know you are. <laughs> All right. Follow Megan. Right. The other thing that connects these songs is O's. O's. O, 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 O's. There's That's a, why we put O's all over the stage. There's O's all over the stage for the lyrics. <laughs> it's a Sunday of O's. And, and it's easy for me to remember the word O. So let's all stand and let's do this. Yeah. Let's all sing these lyrics that we know so well. You ready?
And we are back. I'm back with my friend Cherie. How are you doing, Cherie? I've been out having fun. She has been. Look at that. She's got a butterfly on her face. We're having a huge party outside. I don't know if you knew that. It's free. Go out and do it. It's all free. Hey, we talk a lot here about mercy, justice, and love. And there's one event coming up that just kind of encapsulate that whole thing. And we do this crazy retreat called Johnny and Friends. Tell us just a little bit about it. 
So it is an incredible week, and it is about inclusion of all, right? And um, so this camp is really special. It's for those affected with disabilities. Um, and the whole family comes. So that's what's neat about this camp. Most camps are camps that are respite care, so you drop your kids off and pick them up. But at this camp, we actually bring the whole family, and the whole family gets care. So it's just a super special week. Sweet, and it, sometimes you just have to see it. So we put together a little video. We want you to see what happens during that this week. This is my favorite part. Yes. <laughs> Wow, it's almost hard to watch that without tearing up. And Sri, I know that this camp does not happen without the support of Rancho. So tell us, how can people get behind this? So our church is incredible. I will tell you, I'm amazed every year at what this church does stepping up for this camp. So we are in need of donations. Uh, those donations help buy supplies. They help sponsor families that are having struggles to get there. What most people don't realize is that these families have a lot of costs every year for wheelchairs and different types of machinery. So to get to go to a camp is just what they want to do, but not always able to make that as their first choice. So those, those donations go for all of that. Yeah, so this is just a time when we can step up and make something awesome happen for a very special group of people. We put a very easy link on our website. It's rancho.tv forward slash Wagar. You can learn more about Johnny and Friends, and you can donate, and you can volunteer, and you can tell other families that you might know that might want to come to this camp, yeah, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Like I said, it's an amazing camp, so... Be a part of it somehow. Awesome. All right. Well, Scott, let's welcome you back up. Thank you very much. And I am so um, proud of Rancho for a lot of reasons, but this is probably the highlight. So when we talk about mercy, justice, and love, which we're about to, this is all of it. Uh, mercy is finding a need and meeting it, uh, which we clearly do with our special needs ministry. Um, justice is about seeing where there's marginalization and seeing where people are on you know, sort of the edges of life and they're not experiencing the fullness of it. And the special needs ministry with Johnny and friends and Tim Tebow and many partners are doing justice. And then of course, it's all under the umbrella of love. So Sheree, thank you for your leadership. If you don't know, Sheree runs the entire place. I mean, seriously, she runs everything. I show up to work. She tells me what to do every day. It's awesome. And we Alex, Sheree. thank you. I just thank want to say guys. again, thank you. All right. Um, so here we are, a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ is about bringing heaven to earth what does that look like? What do we do? And it really boils down to these three beautiful words that we see all throughout the scripture, mercy, justice, and love. When we look at Jesus, we hear his teaching. We follow him around in life as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see what he did with his time. He pursues the marginalized. He pursues those who were oppressed. He pursues those who were victims. And he says, I'm going to lift you up. He pursues those who are labeled by other people. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to give you dignity. I am going to smother you with the grace of God. I'm offering you the forgiveness of heaven. Now let's walk a journey. Get those shoulders back. Get that chin up. Let's go. Through mercy, through justice and love, we lift up the entire world around us and we walk forward in this whole new world called the kingdom of heaven. And we can do that right here and right now. And the reason why we chose these words wasn't just random. Some of these words could also be tagged as political words. They are not. They're biblical words that come right out of the core foundational passages that a lot of us have memorized as we grew up in church. One of them is Matthew 6, 8. We've talked about this before. God says, this is what's good and this is what I require. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Pretty clear, right? God says, this is what I require. I want you to be people of justice. I want you to bring equal dignity, equal respect, equal opportunity to everyone, everywhere. It's a big job description, but he says, that's what I want. Jesus, as he's just wrestling with these religious leaders who are all about themselves and their arrogance and pride and judgment and self-righteousness, Jesus says, hey, listen, you're doing a lot of religious stuff, but the more important matters are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It's right there. God says, this is the most important. And for a lot of us, when we think, okay, well, I'm just struggling to kind of keep my own life together, right? 
I'm struggling just kind of waking up every day and, and getting to work and providing for my family and paying the bills and managing the kids. I totally understand that. We're not asking you to, to leave your life and to live a life of full-time vocational mercy, justice, and love. What we're asking is to first open up your heart to the reality that the cause of Christ is something that's open to all of us. All of us can do our part, and maybe a tiny little part at first. Maybe just a, a little bit of time to help a cause that's near and dear to your heart. I mean, ask yourself right now, what in this world is broken that breaks your heart? Let's just start there. What in this world is broken that breaks your heart? Maybe children's issues, maybe justice issues, race, gender. What breaks your heart? The wars that are, that are taking innocent lives overseas, what breaks your heart? Natural disasters that just seem to senseless, senselessly cause destruction, what breaks your heart? Just start with that question. And once you have that question answered, then, then you can start with just prayer, praying into that, praying for the children, praying for those who are poor, praying for those who are sick, praying for whatever breaks your heart. Because what breaks your heart breaks the heart of God also. So at least you can align with the heart of God, align with the mission of Jesus, align with the cause of Christ. Start praying prayers of mercy, prayers of justice, prayers of love, and then just wait. Wait for one announcement from the Wagar stage that says, you know what, that's the one. That's it. I'm gonna give a little bit of time to that cause. I'm gonna give a little bit of money to that cause. I'm gonna get some supplies for that cause. And now you're starting to do something. It's not radically altering your whole life rhythm, but it's adding the cause of Christ. It's adding mercy, it's adding justice, it's adding love. Here's what Jesus says about those who get on board with mercy, justice, and love. Matthew 5, 7, happy are the merciful. It doesn't seem like you'd be very happy if all you're doing is giving to others, giving to others. You know, what about me? Again, the science says the more we give, the more we're merciful, the more we look out for others, the more we're actually happy. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So you don't have to participate in the mess that's going on in our country politically. Participate in politics, but don't participate in the mess and the accusations, the really stupid social media posts. I mean, let's be peacemakers. Let's be merciful. Let's be kind. Let's look out for others. Let's look out for the marginalized. Let's do a little something through prayer, a little something through generosity, a little something through time. And I'm telling you, watch happiness rise. Watch happiness rise. It's remarkable how that happens. And that's why I'm convinced we just have a happy church. We have a happy church because we are about mercy, justice, and love. I'll just give you a little taste of this. I shared this on Sunday night. Some of you saw this maybe online or here. But the average church gives 3% of their offerings outside the walls of their church. Missions, humanitarianism, 3%. That's average. I read an article that says this. Pastors wonder why people are so stingy in their giving to the church. It's because the church is so stingy in their giving to the cause of Christ. <laughs> Ouch. So we set a, a goal of 25%. This was about 10 years ago. 25% of everything that comes in outside the walls of the church, and we blew by, by that years and years ago. Our next goal was 33%. One-third of everything that comes in through the church, through Community Mission of Hope, through special offerings, everything that comes in, one-third out the doors for the cause of mercy, justice, and love. And I figured, I suspected that we went past that. So I got April's finances, did some numbers, and we're actually on track this year to be 38.8% of everything that comes in outside the walls of the church. Mercy, justice, and love. On Sunday night, we introduced our pastors, uh, our ministry leaders. Some are volunteers, some are part-time, some are full-time, and you just go person by person by person, over a third. Their entire job here is to mobilize us to serve outside the walls of the church. We want to see every department, yes, gather together for worship services. I think we do pretty cool worship services. Gather together, together for, for, for Bible and for prayer. Gather the children through mature adults. Gather together, but maybe we can add a cause to that gathering. Is there something we can do as a group? With mercy, finding a need and meet it. Is there something we can do for justice as a group? It's very complicated. There's problems with justice and equality. Is there something we can do to advocate? And can we live lives of love? Those are the happy people. Those are the fulfilled people living lives of love. That's why we have this very simple phrase, live free and do good. It's so simple. 
We're free in the gospel. We're free in the good news. We're free in this reality that we are saved by God, forgiven by God, accepted by God, purely by grace, not based on anything we've done. God just says, you know what? I like you. Yes, you're a mess. I've forgiven you. And here's Jesus to prove it. I've forgiven you. I love you. I embrace you. I accept you just as you are. You're my perfect daughter. You're my perfect son. Come here. Just know that. Just believe it. Your life will change if you do. Then when we're accepted by God and loved by God, he just whispers in our ear, now look to your neighbor. Look to the person in need. Look to the one who's struggling, to the one who's marginalized, to the one who's kind of been shoved aside, to the victim. Look at them. And can you do something to help out, just a little bit to help them out, to advance the cause of Christ, move forward the kingdom of heaven, lift up the world around you. That's a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. And you can make your first move. Just think about it. Pray through it. And maybe over the summer, something's going to start to happen. And when we get together for fall launch, I mean, this church is going to be alive with friendship. A, a, a more diverse church than we've ever had in our history. We're going to scream out to the community that you're welcome here. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter your religious background. doesn't matter if you're an R or a D. It doesn't matter. Come here. doesn't matter if you're young or old, rich or poor. Come here. And we are going to together as friends, follow Jesus in mission, advance the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. 